Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. This episode contains talk of anti-Black racism, police brutality, and drug use. Feel free to skip this episode if these topics could be activating for you. I don't know. I think it's possible for people to become very, like money driven instead of art focused instead of client focused instead of like artist focused but I think so long as you have your head on straight you know and you're like prioritizing the right things like I think artists run is the way to go because you're going to care more about like your people you're going to care more about the client experience and at the end of the day like that's what makes the shop like, no one gives a shit what, the, what my shop is called. They don't really care. They're at my shop because of the environment. And the environment is built because of the people who are there. So if I don't take care of my people, I'm not taking care of my shop. I'm not taking care of my clients. I'm not taking care of anything. What's up, y'all? Welcome to The Teardown, a podcast hosted by me, Vegas Inc., your favorite polarizing tattooer. Every episode, I sit down and chat with amazing guest artists, and we dive in more intimately on the politics of the tattoo industry, as well as some topics I feel are more relevant in contemporary tattooing. So now that we're all set up, let's get started. Are you ready? Today's guest artist is a very talented Toronto pal, Tiff Lee. Tiff is a non-binary queer tattooer who owns and works out of Heartstrong Tattoo. They have been tattooing for nine years and during quarantine, they took up a hobby like the rest of us did, but failed. Except Tiff is now a pro bread maker. Apparently they can make a mean sourdough. Some interesting <laughs> facts about them is that they can flare their nostrils on command and our little rebel went to raves until they were old enough to drink. What does that mean? You stopped going to raves after that? Yeah, so stupid. I feel <laughs> like maybe it would have been more fun at that point, but anyway. Were you drinking at those at those parties? I feel like it's kind of lame, but I was like totally fucking sober. Um... I just wanted to go and dance. And like I danced so weird. So like everyone thought I was like fucking stoned anyway. So I was like, I might as well just nobody's paying attention to what you're doing. Yeah, they're paying attention to their everyone's in their own head. So I was like, this is great. <laughs> How are you feeling today? How's life? Life is all right. I'm like recovering from a cold. So I've been like quarantined trying to do my best. I got some antibiotics. So that doesn't sound like a cold with antibiotics. Yeah, it's like a fucking bacterial throat infection starting to move to my ears. So I was like, cool, let's get some antibiotics in that. So you haven't been hit with the, with the cron, with the Omicron yet? I mean, it might be, but I don't think that it is. The last time I got a test, it took me like four days to get my results. So I was like, I might as well just stay home and just take care of Quarantine. myself. My doctor was like, don't, you know what, don't even just stay home. And I was like, okay. You're my doctor. If you say that's what I should do, then I'm going to listen. I feel like that's just kind of like the safest bet because Ontario, I mean, we can only speak for Toronto. The testing now, it's like so difficult to get unless you drive a car and do like the drive through and then like the results aren't We're fast. Yeah. I'm a Toronto queer. I don't drive. I don't. <laughs> feel like most of us don't drive. Like, fuck. I'm an anomaly. I, it's like me and Scratch Pepper, apparently, are the yeah. only queer drivers. Yeah, you're like, drivers. oh, I'm going to drive over. I was like, 
wait, you have a car <laughs> and you drive, you can do both things. And I can parallel park really well. So I'm just breaking all the generational curses. Of people. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the regulations are sh- always shifting and it's just like figuring out what's works best for you. And like the shop or whatever, like the whole five day quarantine thing. I'm like, no, 10 days. I'm gonna just do that. Yeah. Like even the mask thing. I'm like, once COVID quote unquote is done, I feel like when I do feel sick, I'll probably still wear a mask. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, that's what we were doing at the shop anyway, just because like we are so close contact and we supplied masks before COVID even happened. So we actually had a stock of masks and I was like, oh, well we're not working. So we ended up like donating a bunch of those, but yeah, I totally hear you. I feel like, I don't know about you, but when I'm tattooing, I'm like this, I'm like so close to the person. So I'm just like, if I'm not feeling well, I don't want to be like breathing on a person and then getting them sick because their immune system is like doing a thing. Bro, it is wild actually. Well, two th- I want to say two things. One, I feel like tattoo artists, a lot of them, even without sick or whatever, wore masks while they tattoo goggles, like arm covers, aprons, like the whole shebang. So it was like translating that into now because we have like a deadly virus. Wasn't that big of a deal? And I don't like, I feel like I'm going to feel uncomfortable tattooing people without a mask now. Cause I'm like, everything is just, it's right here. And it feels like Yeah, airborne. there's micro splatter. Yeah, all of it. And then the second thing was, I feel like tattooing has like less of a bad rep these days, but like when COVID hit and folks were looking for PPE, that was fucking tattoo shops. We were donating all of our shit. I wasn't owning a shop at the time. It was Tapestry. But like, yeah, like you folks donated. I know Tapestry did, Soft Point at Sleepy Bones. Like, Yeah, and that stuff ain't cheap either. (laughs) But, you know, obviously anything to help the greater good. I also feel like tattooing really uniquely had me set up for knowing about cross-contamination. So watching people use gloves. When people are using gloves, I'm like, I'm like, it's not, there's no point. There's no point. (laughs) Everything is dirty. You're touching your phone. You're touching your face. Like what the fuck is the point? Like you might as well just like have your bare hands out. Like you don't even know how to use gloves because people are like gloves. They protect me. It's like a condom. It's like, no dude, like you have to know how to use gloves. And you wouldn't think that People need instructions on how to use gloves, but you kind of do. Remember, I think Joey filmed like a little video and being like, okay, this is what happened. <laughs> All of us yeah, were like, thank yeah. God for them. yeah, I mean, people still weren't listening. It's like, even when I tear down, I use one hand, no glove, one hand glove. One's a contaminated hand. One is not a contaminated hand, depending on what part of the steps I am in my tear down. Otherwise it's two gloves. But like, even that's to like teach me to remember this hand, no touch Filthy. bad things. Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. Hand, this hand touch clean things. This hand disgusting. Like, and people were just like throwing gloves around and just walking around and then touching their phones, touching their faces. And I'm like, just wash your hands. But I kind of wanted to know more about you and your experience. Like, so you had an apprenticeship. What was that like? What was that experience like? Uh, I worked at a couple shops that I don't really want to name. Because you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we know. I feel like I did like a bunch of different apprenticeships. Like I started nine years ago at a shop in Mississauga. That was mostly like running to grab beers for the guys and cleaning the shop, you know, or like making drinks or like doing their drawings for them. That one I hear a lot about. Yeah. And they were like, oh, well, you know how to draw so you can just tattoo and I was like shouldn't I like practice on fruit or like pigskin and they're like nah here's a machine tattoo yourself and I was like okay and I would tattoo clients every now and again but it was like it was not good and then I ended up working somewhere else in Toronto I learned some stuff but I felt like it wasn't really all that helpful and I stayed there for about two years I felt like I wasn't really progressing or learning as much as I wanted to. Was it a shop where it was a lot of other apprentices there? No, that was a shop that was owned by two people, not to throw shade, but like their work wasn't amazing. So you can only learn so much by your peers. If Your peers only know so much. Then I ended up popping over to Greece 
stayed there for like two and a half years and the artists there are wild. Like just the community of artists there are just, there are people who were tattooing for like a year and a half and it looked like they'd been tattooing for like a decade. I was like, what the fuck is in the water here? This is wild. I learned a lot when I was there. Then I came back to Canada and like, I was like, no, I am a tattoo artist now. I'm, I'm not doing any junior artist bullshit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, how long had you been tattooing? Uh, five years. I, I would say you're no longer a junior artist after five years. Yeah. I don't know. I just took it really seriously. I just wanted to like, like I always knew I could always learn more. When did you open Heartstrong? I opened Heartstrong 2018. 18. Yeah, yeah, October 2018. And before then, you had still just been kind of floating by different shops? Yeah. I worked at Toronto Shop for a year just to, you know, build clientele, figure out who I am, where I am, uh, whether or not I had a client basis, that kind of thing. How would you describe your art style? Probably like neotrad, bold, colorful, birds. <laughs> birds. Birds. <laughs> Yeah, you did my bird right here. Yeah! <laughs> I have to speak into the mic so they can see it. It's one of my favorite tattoos, honestly. Little budgie baby. Yeah, I need to come to you for another piece, but you're always booked up. You know I'll make space for you. You just tell me. Yeah, I know. I- I'm now, now I'm busy. I-, I put it on you, but I'm busy too. <laughs> <laughs> so today's topic is owning and running a tattoo shop. You own a shop longer than I have and I think that you are like a sole I guess like a sole proprietor meaning like it's just you that owns it I have a partner which I feel like is a very different experience than doing it and I think that even how we run our shops are very different so it's like interested to have this conversation to see that the the different ways in which people are owning and running tattoo shops but then I, I like wanted you a part of the conversation because I do think that you're also like I consider you part of like the ethical queers, the ones that are like always actively engaging in like anti-oppression and like anti-racism and all that stuff. And like owning and running a business that is like inherently capitalistic, but like trying to still engage in like a sort of community centered environment. But again, yeah, we got some things we could talk about. So my question is, what has your experience in the industry been and how has it influenced how you run your business or how you like the environment of your space to be? I think because I started almost a decade ago, I feel like tattooing was quite a, especially in Toronto was a bit more of a boys club. There's no real way to fucking make this clean. You know, like what I experienced was straight up abuse as an apprentice. I was pressured to do drugs, to drink while I was tattooing and like that like rock and roll, like lifestyle bullshit, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. you get into the shop, you smoke a joint while you're cleaning, you're drinking. They want to see you fucked up while you're doing a tattoo. They would give me like shots and like, you know me, I'm a fucking lightweight. Like I, (laughs) I just can't handle my alcohol. So it was always a fucking rough time, you know? And like, I went to parties and I got drugged, like shit got fucked up. Yeah. And then after that, like every subsequent tattoo shop I'd been at were either like owned by men who didn't want to listen and didn't care about the well-being of their artists or their clients for that matter like the kinds of things that I saw like I had a boss that actively sexually harassed clients and like I'd be like I'm so sorry that's not okay that that happened and like my clients would be like yeah whatever I'm like no not whatever like that's not fucking okay I'd also been to shops where like they were like all oh, female tattoo shop. And then like, <laughs> sorry, I know that we're supposed to at the root of it. Love that. But like one female, uh, like the word female. And then like two, like I find that there's like this to- that pot- the potential for like this toxicity, like especially when it's like the head is like this white cishet woman and like everybody there is like white and cishet and they're like, we're ladies and we're doing the thing. And it's like, and that's it. Like that is the extent of what they care about. There are some good ones, I guess, out there. I know some people that are part of those shops that are cool. Mm, there's I, I think, there's a lack of nuance in those places. Yeah. I think if you're leaning into that, I think if someone calls you that, it's different than if you lean into it and they like 
leaned into it. They're like, Toronto's only at the time, all female tattoo. Oh yeah. I also worked at, I also worked in Canada's first and only all female tattoo shop. So we weren't working together. So there's two already, but yeah. And the thing is too, that like, I wouldn't have had so much of a problem with any of it if it had been intersectional, had it been trans inclusive, had it been like intersectional in the way of like racial policies, like I was working at that shop around the time when Mike Brown got shot. So shit was heated. And I remember like, you know, talking my truth, which I think is the truth, which is just a fact, you know, like that shouldn't have happened point blank. And like, there were people in the shop who were like, oh, like, you don't know, like this like pseudo mall cop who used to drop by all the time was like, oh, you don't know, like that kid could have been dangerous. And then like, people who were at the shop didn't say anything. And I was like, no, that's not okay. What you're saying is actually really toxic. Like this is a child we're talking about. I mean, it's fucked up, you know? And I ended up getting fired from that job for talking out about it. You got fired? I got fired like maybe a few days after I talked my shit out. I was like, listen, like it's not okay. Like white people have privilege. That's not inherently a bad thing for you to be a white person. Like I have privilege. I went to school. I'm like light skinned. I like, I'm able bodied for the most part, you know, like there are things about my privilege that allow me to speak on things or to do more with what I have. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but they were like, you're saying I'm a bad person cause I'm white. And I was like, no, but that's not what I'm saying. Like I'm light skinned. I have privileges too. And we can talk about that together. And they were like, no, you fucking hate white people. And I was like, all right. And they fired me. Like, I think a couple of days later, they were like, pack your shit. You have until the end of the night, which was like a half hour. I worked there for like two and a half years. I was like, okay, cool. Packed up all my shit in like literally garbage bags. Cause I was broke at the time. I like literally walked home with garbage bags filled with, with tattoo shit and like my framed art and like my inks and all my other shit. So those kind of experiences between the men, between women who say that they're, you know, woke and with shit. It's just like, do you actually care about your people? Do you actually care about the stuff that you say you care about? Because if you don't, don't label yourself that shit. When I opened the studio, I just like wanted a space for like, to be honest, like it's it's definitely self-interested. Like I definitely wanted a space where I could just like not have to talk to a male boss (laughs) who had like literally a year of fucking experience you know like I wanted to just like work with a bunch of my friends and like every now and again like donate a little some a little something to charity and like give a shit about the stuff that we give a shit about and like just do good work okay it's time to commit 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself begin your new smile journey with bite and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And your shop is primarily queer and, like, trans, non-binary folks, right? Like, there's no, like, cis men. There's a cis man who works there now. Yeah, but, like, actually, our shop is entirely queer now, which wasn't the intention, but it just kind of happened that way. I worked in a lot of shops, and I also just, like, I'm self-taught, so... Like, I feel like I just didn't have the tattoo experience that everybody else really got to have. And, like, I I avoided all the abuse of being an apprentice. And I'm very grateful for that. There was no way I was going to let some, like, white man or man in general tell me what to do. 
it just was not going to happen at that time. But I like just tried to get good enough to be able to go into a space. And then when I was able to do that, it was like, you know, I worked at the back of a barbershop. It was like all men and like, like they were Jamaican. So like there was some cultural sharing there and like felt comfortable in that way. But like, just like a lot of like other things that like definitely aligned with my values and like my clientele, like my clientele is very queer and they're Caribbean. So like that wasn't always like a super safe space. Like nobody was never in danger, but there, it it's just the wasn't. Vibes, it's just the vibes, yeah. right? Like it, they were okay when a lesbian walked in, but like if a gay like man like came in who was like a little bit flamboyant or just like a little bit removed from cisness, then the energy was just off. Great people. And then I did work in like an all-female tattoo shop which there was no boundaries. Didn't see you like, there. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see you there either. The first, <laughs> the first and only in Canada. But with that, I just felt like I, like I did a lot of bouncing around with that one. Like, especially it was like me and one other person who were like black, but we were both like biracial. And like the space just like lacked a lot of boundaries. Like the owner just like, there's just like this weird thing that happens when like, I feel like any group of folks get together and like there's just like the lack of boundaries and then the trauma trauma bonding and then everything just gets centered around that but then everybody there was basically white other than that one person and then homegirl threw her whole ethics away and started hiring men and it was like what are we doing like and then you know we were always missing supplies like there was never fucking supplies in the closet that she never did the runs like the bookings were never really that consistent unless it was from ourselves and it was like we had to stay there from this time to this time. And, you know, it just was like so rigid, but like, and trying to be having these professional boundaries while like also providing none of the benefits of being in a professional environment. And then I like helped people open businesses. Like I would be like the first artist to work at a tattoo shop, travel to go help another business open up. So I've always just like known like the functionality of a shop almost, but nothing could have really prepared me for actually owning and running a business or running a tattoo shop. Like what was important for me and my partner, Sam, what, I mean, we had a third business partner and that person's no longer with us. So you can, we have, we have a conflicts all the time. These conflicts arise all the time, but what was important for us was centering black and brown people we're centering queer people, trans people, like just our overall clientele base. And the fact that they're like, unfortunately, there are some great queer shops in the city. There are some dope people that we know that we are mutuals with. Their whole shop is like white or East Asian. Like there is no South Asian folks. That's literally my shop. So every shop either has no black or brown people or has one but are, if they are marginalized in one way or the other, are able to call themselves a safe space or whatever the case is without actually doing any tangible work to get there. You should never call yourself a fucking safe space. Like no. just because one person might feel safe in your space doesn't mean that everyone feels safe. And like, I don't know, I don't feel like that's a designation that you get to call yourself as a shop. Like you just don't. Or as an artist, you don't get to say like, I am safe. Other people tell you whether or not you are but that changes moment to moment, person to person. Like I fucking hate that shit. Yeah, I don't I don't believe in safe spaces. Nowhere in this world is safe. Nowhere in this world is safe for black people, even within the margins of marginalization or whatever. Um, I believe in like accountable spaces is what I call our space. It's that we move with the intention of maintaining a certain level of safety within our values and our ethics. But the most important thing is that we will take up responsibility and accountability and a, tra- and a transformative process if harm is done. And I feel like that's more important than just trying to be like, oh, like there's a rainbow and a fucking fist in my bio. I'm a safe space. Like I tattoo all bodies, whatever. Like, so I think it was really just important for us to like, not to engage in like representation politics, but to like actually have a shop that is like black and brown. Like when you look at our space, everyone is black and brown except for one person, but they're Latinx indigenous. And even with that, right? Like at first we only had like mixed light-skinned people who are black at the shop. And we're like, okay, like pump the brakes. Like how are we centering now moving forward? So we didn't hire anybody for a long time until we could actually get folks who are black, dark skin, monoracial into the space. 
who I didn't even fucking know existed. Like literally there are so many artists out there that are talented that just like don't have the space to be represented and like are just unheard of and underground. So yeah, I mean like it was just important to be in a space that was like black, brown, rad as fuck and very much community orientated with real motherfucking boundaries. We're not like, we're a family and like, let's get fucked up together all the time. Like, no, we have like clear boundaries because of like, even what you were saying with those guys, like, I feel like tattooing has always like used substance as like a form of bonding. And so it's the partying, it's going out, it's drinking, it's staying up, like smoking cigarettes and getting tattooed in the shop. Like that's bonding. It's like getting blackout drunk, doing drugs. So I totally hear you. Like, it's like weird tattooing as a culture because everyone's like, oh, I'm so cool. But like, honestly, I feel like most good tattooer artists are just fucking nerds, just total nerds who just like, yeah, you might party every now and again, but I feel like to be good at your job, you kind of have to be a little bit of a nerd, you know? Yeah. Well, I feel like tattooing was a lot of, and is still like a lot of degenerates, right? Like a lot of folks like myself or others who like are from the streets or who learned while being incarcerated or, you know, were always artists, but like had to survive. And then tattooing became like that source of income because how the fuck do you make money off of being a painter or a sketcher? You know, um, not all of us are Robert Munch. So yeah, like I feel like there's like the element, like there is like more of different subcultures and subgroups in tattooing. But I think yeah, that it totally was right. large. Yeah, it was largely dominated by the people that were like either disenfranchised, poor, racialized or otherwise. And then came into or fucking white supremacists and Nazis. Like, let's just be honest, like bikers. Like, yeah. But now the people that are more so being centered are like. I'm seeing, I am seeing more nerds and like more art students who hate being art students, but like equally. I think you're totally right. I think my perspective was definitely like skewed to my particular perspective, which obviously comes from a place of privilege. So like, yeah, you're totally right. Either way, it was still like, even though those are like the folks that were coming in out of it. And this is like those sort of conversations that we're having now. It's like, figure it out, right? Like we have such an intense responsibility with our clients and then the other people that we bring in. And if you own a shop and you're bringing in young people, like why isn't it like centered in protecting them and keeping them safe and just having them focus on their career? Like you could be a degenerate, but it doesn't mean that you need to ha now have your apprentice doing degenerate shit, like support them, right? Like, yeah, I've always thought like, if you're a leader, then you have to lead by example and you have to treat your people right. Just be nice. But how was the process of like finding the space, leasing and all that stuff, like to building up to opening? Like, what was that process like for you? I think at the time it was pretty easy. I don't know. I think for me, it was mostly mental. Like I had, I worked like a dog the year before and I did everything I could to save every dime. You know, I worked other jobs and I just saved, saved, saved. And then when it came down to it, I was like, okay. So I'm actually doing this because I was brought up in communities where you're not going to open a space until you're like a decorated tattoo artist with like awards and shit. And like until you've been tattooing for like a decade because you want to pay your respects, like you got to prove your worth to the tattoo community as a whole before. you. Who, who are you proving your worth to? Let's just be honest. Exactly. And then I worked for a studio where like the owners had less than half of my experience combined. Like if you combine both of their experience, I had double what they had. So I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like I am taking shit from dudes who only care about the money and don't actually know anything about tattooing or tattoo culture. But I don't think I have the right. I don't have the audacity to fucking do that shit. No, like, absolutely, I do have the audacity to do that shit. Yeah. It was also different, too, because, like, I was in that shop thinking, like, you know what? Like, it's all going to be good. Like, we are, we're all making money. Like, it's all going to be fine. And then some shit really fucking came up. And I was like, I, I can't do this. I can't be in this space. It's like, it's not all right. So when I opened up my studio, I was like, okay. I just, like, looked up a bunch of listings. And I went to go see probably, like, 20 different spaces. 
and the space that like felt right for me. I don't know. I just got like good vibes, but nobody wanted it. It was a travel agency before there was carpet. There were like (laughs) two fucking bathrooms for some reason. There was like wires everywhere. It looked like it was from the fucking nineties, like an office from the nineties and it had not been touched. The walls were like a canary yellow, but like the vibes were right. I got in there and I was like, (laughs) but the vibes the vibes were right I was like this place is not haunted you know what I mean like if I'm gonna be working here late at night I want to know if like some spooky shit's gonna fucking happen and I was like this feels good like if there is a spooky ghost they're not gonna fuck with us it's just like what's up you know so I was like okay this is a good this is a good spot it's also like a third story walk up it's a lot cheaper it's also in Koreatown yeah so like it's above a fucking restaurant and like a fucking like a rub and tug I'm pretty sure it's a rub and tug like you know what I mean like rent is not high and I kind of wanted it to be like low expenses for the big stuff so that way we could put more money into like good quality paper towels good quality needles like all that other shit yeah I mean I was definitely fortunate to have the experience I did like the agent that I worked with was like this Asian bro and was kind of like oh I see you and I was like uh, okay. okay. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and I also wasn't like as heavily tattooed as I am now, so like I'm sure I looked squeaky clean and it was like easier to get a space. When you did like the constructing or the deconstructing and then whatever renovating of the space, did you do a lot of that on your own? No, mostly because I knew I'd fuck it. Some of it had to do with like electrical wiring, lighting. It turned out that there was water damage in the ceiling. That was going to fuck with the electric. I probably could have done the flooring, but I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I need this to be open in like a month. Like I like deadline is coming. Like clients are booked. Like we got to go. I had like a month essentially to get this fucking shop situated. So I was like, okay, I'll just fucking pay a guy. That's why I took the time to save up the money that I did. It's also a small space. Yeah, it's pretty, it's small. It's cute though. Like you have like a, it's like homey. It's like definitely like another world, like when you're outside and everything's like the hustle and bustle of like downtown. And then like you're in the staircase and you're like, where the f- where am I going? But then you go into the space and it's like, oh, this is cute. This is nice. Then you have like this nice little patio. Like I feel like the space is really cute, clean. Definitely would not have known that it was like everything that you're saying it was beforehand. I did rip up some carpet and rolled it up and like there was a fucking safe in there with no key it was 900 pounds it was almost a full ton we had no way to get it out of the door we had to break this 900 pound safe into like different parts and it was so heavy like these two guys had to come in and were like it was a full moment there were like so many cockroaches underneath the fucking rug when I pried that shit up. I was like, (laughs) this is some shit. What have I got myself into? And how long did it take you to build? Uh, I said a few months. Yeah. I think construction was about a month. And then it was like maybe two weeks after that. I like bought all my shit. I was out there like at night, like doing staining and painting Obviously, we had a bunch of friends come through to help us get the shop started and, like, help us with painting, help us with, like, some decoration stuff. I figured out how to put up wallpaper, which was very difficult. Oh, my. Wallpaper is the bane of my fucking existence. No, 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 no. Never again. (laughs) Did you have the artists ahead of time or did the hiring happen afterwards? Because I know some of the artists you folks worked together at a previous shop. Yeah. The way I had kind of made the shop is that like I kind of figured out how much money it would take to kind of keep it afloat. And I had it so that way, if it was me and one other person, we could feasibly like take care of the studio and it would be totally fine. But I had two people coming with me from the previous shop and then we expanded over time. So I already had people coming in and it was like definitely a joint effort when we were figuring out the name, figuring out what space felt good. But yeah, like I definitely had final say in everything. Yeah, like when we got the the space, it was like during the first lockdown or towards the end of the first lockdown. Yeah, I remember. I was so excited for you. Yeah, we actually crowdsourced it. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, some people have things to say negatively about that. 
But I'm like, if some of y'all have the privilege to be able to walk into a bank and get a loan, like that's lucky for you. But that's essentially what we did. It was like the community bought into this space and helped it. Like, I mean, we got a lot of money, but you think like $18,000 is not enough to open a tattoo space. No, I mean, I definitely donated to that one. I thought you meant you crowdsourced for the location. Oh no. So the location, we got a real estate agent who offered their services. We paid them. Well, the, the building paid them. They were cool, queer. But yeah, like we crowdsourced the money to open the spot and I got a lot of negative. I mean, I, it's just me. People always in my DMs, but like a lot of negative feedback about it. And it was like, as long as we are maintaining our promises to why the space is important, then like, that's okay. Like we said, this is what the space is going to center. And from off the rip, we did everything and we continue to do everything that we say we're going to within its limitations because of COVID. And we definitely have plans to do more, but like we put in as individuals outside of the money that we raised so much of our own money and still so much of our own money, like paying off certain things, construction. One of the owners, her husband owns a construction company. So he did a lot of like the labor, but he had his guys coming on and like, sometimes they wanted to do it for us for free, but we're like, no, like we're going to pay for like this like old like guy came in to do our like electrical and he would just come in after I was a little ladder. He's like, oh, it's free. It's your wife. And we're like, no, we're going to pay you. <laughs> you got yeah, a family, no. you know? Well, they also have to eat, right? Right. I'm like, thanks. But like, no, we'll figure it out. But like, it's funny because the landlord that owns the building also owns the building to a lot of other tattoo shops. So he has like 10 tattoo shops. Mm -hmm. A lot of names that we know. I know it's kind of cool. He used the spot as his car garage. He had his fancy cars in that space (laughs) before we used it as a tattoo shop. I'm like, oh my God, must be nice. So we did like a lot of construction. He built the bathroom and then we built like the wall and we did the flooring and the cabinetry and everything like that. So like even like the building process was like a lot of like, It was a lot of labor. We all put in like equal amounts of labor, like painting and wallpaper. I did the wallpapering. It was so expensive and it was like not having enough and having to buy more. It was just like, oh my God. You always have to buy more than what you think you need. It's brutal. Yeah. We had the wallpaper in the bathroom too. Yeah. It was like really fun and exciting and you don't really like, it's like you forget that there's like an end goal to this whole process. And then it happens. And then you're just sitting there and you're like, holy shit, like, this is ours. Like, we did that. Totally. I also just feel like when I started, I was very much so like, I I hadn't learned enough about the community as a whole to be able to support the community as a leader. I didn't even see myself that way, right? Like, that was my own shit and like I was just like oh I just want to make a space so I can work in it not realizing like the kind of clientele that we would have not realizing the kind of space that we were building or what we owed the community you know what I mean so like now I would obviously do things a lot different versus what I had done initially initially I was just kind of like I just want a place to work oh we had a little bit of like a dm exchange at one point I think yeah yeah. I was like, you're a little quiet over there. What's going on? And yeah, we had totally. our moment, but I, not anything we had to get into, but we definitely had that moment. And then I feel like you came to the conversation, like time had passed. Like I was also in like a different, like stuff were going on with me, but like time had passed. And I felt like you came to the conversation, like having unpacked what it was that you needed to unpack or knowing that there is actively things that we all have to unpack. And then just like, I don't know, I've never called somebody in and then be like, okay, well, this is what I've done. Like, this is how I've been engaging this conversation, figuring out why I act in this way, why I didn't see this perspective. And just like you came with your own self-analysis and your own critique and understanding who you are and what your role is in the industry Cause I think even part of that was that you were like, I didn't even know that people hear me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah people are <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, I'm not fucking important, which is like, obviously my own, like, that's my own shit that I have to work through. But like, 
Yeah, I actually really appreciated at the end of the day that call in because I think that was it was really important for me to like be accountable to my shit, you know? And I don't I wouldn't have called anybody in that I also didn't think had the capacity for growth. And I think that like why it even like I had said anything or had been disappointed because I'm like, but this is who you say you are. And this is how I feel like when we've had conversations that this is who you are but you're like not living your truth, right? Like you're talking about the experiences that you've had in the industry before where you've had to like leave places or fuck be fired because of racism, anti-black racism, and then also anti-Asian racism, like in those experiences. So it's not like you didn't have that there, but I think that it just kind of gets lost. And also us being tattooers that have like very openly marginalized identities, like being black, being racialized, being queer, being non-binary. And if that means trans for you, then, you know, because some people that identify as non-binary don't identify as trans, but I don't don't know that like we've now curated this whole separate industry outside of the mainstream tattooing without even realizing it. And then all of a sudden there's like, a whole different industry and we're like oh wait but like somebody like you and even myself like you've been in almost 10 years now I've been um, a little over 10 years one foot in the door of the old school one foot in the door of this new school right yeah and it's also like between my own personal history and then also the way I've moved through this industry probably by virtue of that experience it's like of course my brain was like you're not important but like as you said, like we are now like leaders, presumably in, in this for at least for this like new generation of tattooing, this new like microcosm subsection subcategory. Yeah. People are coming to us for apprenticeships. People are coming to us for these things. So like leaders in terms of like vets in the industry are becoming more veteran in the industry and like watching a new world come aboard and like even with the tattoo shop that we own it's just something different it's something new it looks completely different than what it used like what it used to typically be so like getting a little bit more on the topic like when you were hiring artists what did you prioritize did you prioritize anything what was the hiring process like it it was mostly like honestly all nepotism (laughs) like (laughs) like I'm just gonna be real our desk person for a while was like one of the artist's best friends. I think for me, the vibe is so important that I was just like, are they cool? Can I like, can I like level with these people? Will they understand that like I have their best interest at heart whenever mm-hmm. I make a decision, that kind of thing. I think if I were to do an open call for hiring, it would be very different now. For quite a while too, like we were taking in people who needed a little bit of space or needed like an in-between and then they ended up really enjoying where we like what we do and they stayed but yeah like I think if I were to actually properly hire someone I would definitely be prioritizing black and brown individuals for sure I mean I've got so many emails asking for apprenticeships and they're all like white people and I'm like that's that's great but that's not like what the industry necessarily needs moving forward And like, I'm also not really in a place to be apprenticing anyone anyway, but. That's one criticism I have, not criticism, but one thing that I, frustration that I have because I have an apprentice now and I think I'm going to take on one more because they're coming into, coming up and about to do fake skin. So I could bring somebody in and just kind of like funnel that through, obviously black. And I was just kind of like, damn, like the amount of like black people that like come into my DMs asking for an apprenticeship. And then I feel like this is an innate responsibility to like want to take everybody on. And I'm like, I kind of wish that more of our peers took on apprentices. And I feel like it's like even some of our peers have that again, like foot in the old school, foot in the new school who did like apprentice, like traditional apprenticeships or whatever who don't feel like they are established enough in their art to be teaching anyone. But I'm kind of like, like you said, you went and seen artists that were like one year in and were phenomenal. Like it's really just the environment that you create, but I'd love to see. I also forget that some of the folks that were, that are like peers 
are like self-taught started hand pokers and then just learned machine like a year or two ago. So yeah. they're like, I don't even really know how to tattoo. <laughs> and I'm like, fair enough. I know I'm a, I know I'm a good teacher and I know that I could teach a lot of people and I know that they would succeed. I just know it. And I know that these people would go far, but I also don't want to take someone on and then not give them a place to work. Like there's only so much space that's available Like if I'm going to teach them all of this stuff and take time out of my day to teach these people, there needs to be a little like return on investment, right? Like there needs to be some time where they actually have a place to be tattooing and they're not just like displaced. That's a good point, actually. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, my ideology with not taking on an apprentice at this point isn't necessarily that like, I know I'm a good teacher. I've seen even like the people who work in my shop grow because I've been like, hey, this is a pointer that I think you might, you know, benefit from. And also like one of my artists was like my weird pseudo apprentice when I worked at the previous shop in Toronto. And so I know that I can teach, but yeah, like if there's no space, if I like teach them and then they have to like, I'm like, good luck, go find a shop. Like that's not really fair, you know? That's a point I hadn't thought about with some of the folks. Cause now when I think about it, a lot of folks that I thought like could be taking on apprentices, they actually don't have the space for it even. Like for somebody, like when they're done where they're going to tattoo. Ah, we don't really even have the space for it either. I'm just like, we'll figure it out when the time comes. <laughs> We've definitely thought about it. Like my apprentice now, like we have like an extra booth that's just kind of used for guest artists right now. So they'd probably take that one. But in the meantime, I'm like, well, they could just share my booth. <laughs> like, We'll just share it together. Yeah, sharing is caring. But I think that also comes back to like a question I was going to talk, something I wanted to talk about was like these corporate tattoo shops like these literal industry type corporate shops i'll name the names now we don't have to act like we know them but like the chronic inks the golden eyes the black lines the ink and water like those are like corporate shops that had the money have the business know-how some of them weren't even tattoo artists and opened these shops where they have these large fucking spaces to be able to do and make more income because they have more artists and have more space to like have apprentices and apprentice farms. I didn't even think at like that sort, like I had thought about it, but even in terms of apprentices, like they have the privilege to be able to do so because their main objective is just to get more artists to create more business, but they have the space and everybody that we know are like that are our mutuals have just like smaller spaces that we're working with just by what we could afford. Really? Mine's less than 500 square feet. <laughs> like, yeah. And we, ha- we need a back room. We need front desk area. We need a waiting space. I mean, that's not including our cute patio, but we can't really tattoo out there. So right. <laughs> I think the thing that really bothers me about these spaces are that they're corporate without actually having any benefits of being corporate. Oh, as an artist, like you don't have like healthcare yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like our shop, all of our artists have benefits. They're also employees, so they get, like, holiday pay. They get the full fucking nine, you know, like, sick days. Well, this is actually going to lead me into my next question, is what is your shop structure? So we pay out 60%. Shop keeps 40 I make the same amount as everyone else, so I'm also 60%. There's, like, no hierarchy in that regard. Shop pays for everything, pays for needles, tubes, Everything with the exception of machines and power supplies, everything else shop covers, inks, you name it, aftercare, whatever, snacks. I got a Costco membership. Everybody gets snacks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Shop covers everything. Shop also pays for health benefits because everyone's an employee. So like the business gets to write off the expenses and stuff. This also makes the tax season a little easier because everyone's an employee. So they don't have to like find all the receipts and stuff. So the shop does like the taxes. So they, they get like almost, they get a T4 or whatever it's called for when they need to do their taxes. Instead of a T4A. Yeah. So like we remit payroll tax every month. So that is tax that we would pay as tattoo artists if we were like contract workers with a T4A. Basically like we're just like, as if we work at the fucking grocery store in terms of the way that the pay structure is, is like, you don't have to worry about taxes because like the shop will remit it for you because you're an employee. The shop is actually a corporation. Okay. Like technically we are incorporated, which is great because that means that if the shop goes under, 
I don't have to go bankrupt. It's like its own entity. This also means that the shop is its own separate thing. So the money that comes into the shop is the shop's money. Like I don't even see it as mine. It's like whatever goes into the shop stays at the shop, goes back into, you know, the artists there and the quality of work that we're putting out. So the money that you make is from the money that you make, that you work. Yeah, I make 60%, same as everyone else, the same way. It gives me the incentive to keep working and working hard without thinking that like the business account is like my own personal playground. It's not, I don't see it that way. I wanted to be very careful because I was working at other shops. I had seen that go really poorly and things go south really fucking quick. My goal here isn't to make like wild profit from this business, you know? That is so interesting. See, and I had been having conversations with folks obviously now because I'm trying to get more insights. Like I definitely, when we were opening the shop, used you as a resource a lot, asked you for a lot of advice or like to get an accountant. And I did that with like everybody I was in community with, like trying to figure out what everyone's doing and what works. And like, honestly, like it was just like really a big community effort in getting our shop together. Our structure is way different than yours. But I, now I'm looking at your, I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, hmm. it's not not corporate. It's not not capitalist, but like, it's almost egalitarian in the sense that we are all like fucking making the same percentage. So you get to make however much you want to make so long as you want to work, you know? So there's incentive to work. Like, I don't want to have like, oh, I'm the owner. I get to take all this money. Like, no, like I'm the same as, the person sitting next to me doing work, you know, and I wanted that to be really fucking clear. And there's benefits. Yeah. Shop pays out benefits. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like if shop is going to take the money, shop is going to give it back to the people, like the people who are working there, right? Like you're not doing all this hard labor and then not getting anything back. You're giving 40%. Like, yes, you get benefits. Yes. You're an employee. Yes. You get holiday pay. Yes. All of your supplies are taken care of. Holiday pay? Why? Why did I open my business? I should have just worked at your shop. (laughs) (laughs) We gave gave everyone a fucking Christmas bonus this year. Like, like we just like e-transferred that shit. We were just like, honey, just like a sweet (laughs) surprise. Like we had a fucking shop trip at one point. I was like, yeah, let's go to the cottage. Shop paid for everything. You know, it's like, I just want people to have a nice place to work at. (laughs) I just want, I want them to hang out. I want them to stay. I want them to have a nice place to work in. And I feel like what you're doing is more sustainable because at this point right now, what we're doing is sustainable. We do booth rentals. So, and our booth rentals are some of the cheapest in the city, like the booth rentals right now in Toronto is like min 1200 to 1500. Our artists pay our full-time artists pay 950, And then our part-time Whoa. artists. Yeah. 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 And then our part-time artists pay 550. And if they want to add extra days, then it's just a little bit of an extra cost. And the only time we take a percentage from artists is if we book them something. So we take a 35%, which is the same for the guest artists if we book them something through our thing, but that also doesn't happen very often. And I'm always trying to like, my artists have this, have come from like really bad shops and really bad apprenticeships. So they have an issue with undervaluing themselves. (laughs) That's something I'm trying to teach them. It's like value yourself. Yeah. And make that money. Yeah. Not that money is everything, but also but no, but the, we it, live in a society. We live in a society. <laughs> yeah. We live in a society, <laughs> a capitalist society. Literally the most expensive city in the world. So we do take a percentage out of that, but we don't book that much. And like, obviously if it's something like their flash or whatever, like that's just a different story. But yeah, like we pay for everything So like they get everything except for needles and I think like they're black ink, but we cover like colored inks, bed covers, like literally everything, like snacks and shit. Like if we have staff meetings and stuff, obviously we pay for food. Like, you know, we, we threw on a party, we paid for that. The income that we get from the artists is just enough to cover some things. And then the remainders of that Sam and I have to pay for. So we are actually still putting in more than the artists. We're now at a point that we have a certain amount of artists where we're not paying as much into it, but still we're trying to find an ethical and equitable balanced way to keep the shop running. But like something that I'm realizing is like the shop is making no actual profit, which sucks because 
then if we wanted to expand or open up another shop, we don't have the equity to do so. So it's like sustainable for now, but if we ever want to expand, it's not working. And we also were like thinking about how to get like health benefits for the artists too, because everybody's crazy. <laughs> not to be sorry for the sanest slur, but we all mad out here. So like, yeah, like even in hearing what you're doing, I'm like, okay, still like maybe not doing exactly what you folks are doing, but it's getting the wheels turning and being like, hmm, okay. We both run very differently and both of them have its benefits to how it runs, right? But it's still so fucking different than the other people, right? Totally. Our shop is definitely structured in the way that old school shops are in terms of a percentage, but there's actual fucking benefits that come with that. You know, like we have a desk person and like they take care of all of my emails. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Most of the people at the shop don't really have to worry about booking people in because I have a person who does it for them. You know what I mean? And like, Part of having them as employees meant that like during like the height of Corona, when they had government subsidies and shit. So like 900 is not enough. Not in Toronto. It isn't like maybe if you're like in fucking Timmins, but not here. So like the shop was paying like, I believe before taxes, like 13 after taxes, a little over a grand to everybody. And we, because they're employees and because we were paying them out, we would get a certain percentage of it back from the government it meant that the shop was taking a loss but it meant that like my people were being taken care of with a little bit more money than just like fucking nine hundred dollars every whatever and that is so important and that's what i'm saying like yeah it's definitely ran with the percentages like that's like old school but you've taken that and you've evolved it to something far more equitable and something that like and i'm very like don't want to like work at tattoo shops but i would work somewhere like that and that would work especially if everything's already taken care of like all i gotta do is come in and tattoo and treat my colleagues with respect and ethics like that makes sense to and me. And your clients, yeah. And your clients, yeah. They like call me shop dad. Oh, I'm shop dad. I'm shop dad too. They call me shop dad too. For different reasons, so, like, I think. Any- like, yeah. yeah. So whenever like something like with COVID happens and I'm like, don't worry, like I'm going to take care of you. They're like, daddy. And oh I'm like, God. stop, literally <laughs> fucking stop. I'm going to vomit. But genuinely, like, even though it grosses me out, my desire to take care of these people is like, huge I feel like they're my fucking kids you know what I mean like I don't even feel like daddy I'm just literally just dad I'm like okay you have enough money you good (laughs) like I and I don't think that gets talked I mean it doesn't get talked about because not a lot of people are like you know have one the privileges of being able to own a shop or two just don't have ethics and that was a big kind of surprise to me that like this almost maternal like they're not my kids they're not whatever so I get what you're saying but there's like this this need, you want to need, take care of I want to take care of them, especially knowing where they've come from and like knowing yes. like what's out there in the industry and like already like what they face as an individual and then like what they're facing in the industry and all like the things and they're all marginalized in their own ways. Right. And so like there is this need to like want to protect and care for and create policies surrounding that care. And like, I was like shopped out for a little bit because they're like, you're being neglectful. You're traveling too much. And I'm like, you know what? (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to cut down on the traveling. But like also because like now I'm like the, what did they say? My apprentice was like, you're like the sitcom dad that like, the mom's gone and now you have to raise all these kids and like you're just like I'm always building something I'm always building something at the shop I'm always walking around cleaning things up and being like you eat yet like are you hungry like yeah no no no. that's shop mom stuff that's shop mom I'm like shop dad I'm like yo here's some money good luck fuck uh (laughs) shop mom is like have you eaten yet have you drank water and I'm like fuck, I have not even peed and it's like been eight hours. Like, Who's shop mom? <laughs> front desk? Yeah, it's front desk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're literally like, have you eaten today? And I was like, I mean, I had a coffee and like a cigarette. It's like five o'clock, but I haven't like fucking eaten anything today. I actually, yeah, it's almost five and I also have not eaten anything today. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's the queer urge to not eat anything all day. Yeah. It's not even that. It's like, Addressing my own needs? Just off the time. I don't know. Like tattoo artists, like never, we never fucking eat. It's like smoke breaks and- Because you get into flow state and then it's like, I just need a cigarette to like stretch out my back and then I'm good to go again. 
And then yeah. I finish the day and I'm like depressed and I'm like, why am I so sad? And I'm, I'm just hungry. How has it been balancing running a shop and also tattooing? I did it for a while and then the pandemic hit and my mental health took a huge fucking hit. Uh, my relationships took a huge fucking hit. I had to hire a person to take care of like the back end stuff. I did it for a while, but I was like burning the candle at both ends. It, w- it didn't work, especially because I was tattooing as much as I was. Like it wasn't doable. Like I was pretending as if I was just a regular artist, just doing my thing, but then also having to do all the back end stuff. That was a nightmare. I didn't realize that I would have had to take time out of my tattooing schedule to do both. So I just did both, which is not good. <laughs> yeah. So you hired somebody. Is that the front desk person too? Yeah. They're like office manager, shop manager. I'd love to have a shop manager. Yeah. I have a different person doing socials. I have a different person doing shop managing. I'm basically just tattoo now. Like I'm hands off. Like big decisions, sure. But like, you know, it took us how many years to get to this place. It takes a long time. Like we, Sam and I were just talking the other day and we were just like, oh, it finally feels like there's a good groove like we feel stable enough like things don't feel right it's like it's not stress we're not manic like we have our routine we have these things that need to get done they get done and it's just all very like smooth if something does come up it doesn't feel like a catastrophe it just feels like oh this is like holy shit the building's burning (laughs) yeah no things are just like oh my god the most tumultuous issue we have is the fucking recycling and garbage bins that keep getting stolen but (laughs) yeah do you think there's a difference between a tattoo artist running a shop versus an entrepreneur business owner or what have you well yeah because an entrepreneur is in it for the money very clearly from our conversations between at least you and i i don't know i think it's possible for people to become very like money driven instead of art focused instead of client focused instead of like artist focused but I think so long as you have your head on straight you know and you're like prioritizing the right things like I think artists run is the way to go because you're going to care more about like your people you're going to care more about the client experience and at the end of the day like that's what makes the shop like no one gives a shit what the, what my shop is called. They don't really care. They're at my shop because of the environment and the environment is built because of the people who are there. So if I don't take care of my people, I'm not taking care of my shop. I'm not taking care of my clients. I'm not taking care of anything. And like, I feel as though entrepreneurs are more likely to be money minded and be like, okay, how much profit are we making? How can we push for more profit? And that will no longer prioritize like, like these are these are all the corporate shops that I've worked at, you know, where they care about the bottom line. They care about making the money. They don't really care about what effect, what impact they have on tattooing as a culture, on their clients, on like the negative impacts that they have. And then my last question is, what are some tips you have for people to, who are looking to own a tattoo shop? Save a lot of fucking money because it always costs more than you fucking think. Uh, not to be like, I'm a capitalist, but like, it's part of it. Like you have to have fucking money to open a shop or you have to have a fucking rat ass community. That's going to help support whatever money that you are already going to save. Something that I didn't do, which is like, what is your plan in terms of interacting with your clientele and your community? Cause if you are opening a shop and it is going to be focused around queerness around blackness around a marginalized community in any way, shape or form, you have to think greater than yourself and like what impact that has and how you're going to actually show up for these people who you are profiting from. Because I didn't even think about that uh, when I started. And I definitely would have had more foresight if I knew then what I know now. Well, thank you for coming on to the podcast to the pod thanks for having me I was really excited to have you on because I feel like I knew a little bit about how the shop was ran just based on like stuff that you've shared with me but I didn't even know the full extent so like thank you for giving us like that insight and letting us know and like if you want more tips or questions let me know Yeah. And I think for a lot of people who are having a hard time reimagining what this industry could look like, 
within, you know, capitalism, but then also wanting to center like ethics and particular kinds of ethics and values, that this conversation was really helpful. So I appreciate your transparency and everything you brought to the conversation. Do you have anything that you want to plug? Instagram, shop Instagram, uh, organizations that you want to support? My shop is Heartstrong. Uh, We've worked with a bunch of charities in the past. Please give your money to them. I'm sure we'll have information on our website about it. Also, like, please support Vegas slash Tyla in everything that they do, because honestly, they're looking out for everyone else in the community. And, you know, we need more community leaders that are like that, who are looking in and looking out for marginalized folks. That's it for today's episode, folks. Go ahead and follow at the Teardown Pod on all socials. Make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. The Teardown is hosted by me, Vegas Inc. This episode was edited and mixed by Ali Sirwa and produced in collaboration with Edit Audio. And I'll see y'all at our next session.